Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. <laughs> Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to episode number 144 of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Brought to you by me, your host, Mac B. the Wolf. And I will be joined, as always, by my partner in crime and co-host from the East Coast of the United States of America, Gary Action Jackson. And this is where we congregate to talk about all things classic rock, prog rock, heavy metal, early MTV, all the stuff that has lighted up our fuses over the years and made us the super duper rock fans that we are today. We appreciate you tuning in last week to our episode about the police's debut, Outlandos Demore, which is turning 45 here this year. Great record, amazing debut, and more of a reggae record than I remember. I always say, well, it's kind of an early proto-punk album. It's actually more reggae than you might remember. And we had a lot of great feedback on that one. We really appreciate you downloading that one. But this week, we're going to do something a little bit fun. Come up with something original. It's not a concert review, not an album review, not an interview. It's a list. And everyone likes lists because they like to rank stuff and they like to, well, tear down your list, right? Tell you how you're so off or you don't get it or you're missing the point or you left somebody off. That always starts. Controversy and conversation and that's what we want. We want people to interact and tell us who their favorites of all time are, why ours are wrong. And this list, I think, is going to be fun. It's called the Top 10 Rock and Roll Free Agents of All Time. I think about sports teams picking up free agents. Maybe not someone who they drafted or came up through their system, but eventually they add someone to the team later who then improves their team. Well, rock bands are no different. You may start off as four or five people from a certain town. You make a record or two, maybe. Maybe you make four or five of them. And then eventually someone leaves. Maybe they become disenchanted. Maybe they're not pulling their weight. Maybe drugs and alcohol problem. Maybe they die. But no matter the reason that they're being replaced is they have to bring in somebody new. And sometimes that new person who was not an original member of the band takes that band to a totally new level, creates a legacy that was much greater than they had without them. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about this week. Now, we put a couple of parameters around it, okay? The band had to release at least one album without this replacement person, at least one. So if somebody was in the band and then they left... 
before they ever recorded their first album, the person who replaced them, they couldn't make it on this list. Okay. We're just talking about since they became recording artists, you make at least one album and then the original person leaves or whomever it was leaves. Someone comes in and really ups the game of the band, changes their trajectory. And we wanted to think about like, how does it affect their legacy? Was the person more talented than the person they replaced? What did they bring to the table? Did it improve their sound? Did it improve their fame, their popularity, their record sales and how we see them today? Also, we wanted to give you a little information like where did they come from? Who did they replace? What was their first album? All that kind of stuff. So I think you'll have some fun with this. You could probably start making up your own. It's actually hard to whittle it down to just 10. And then the order, my goodness, that could change at every minute of the day, right? You could move somebody up and down for all sorts of different reasons. But my thing was, if they hadn't gotten this person in, what would be the fortunes of the band? Would they be as popular? Would we know who they are? Would they have been as big a band? Would they have made it to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame if they didn't get this person in the band? And so we're going to exchange our 10 through first all-time rock and roll free agent pickups here on episode 144. Before we get into that, we've got a little bit of business to take care of. As usual, we always like to mention that we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a network of about 100 different shows. Not all rock and roll. There really is something in there for everyone. And we've had guests on this summer from a lot of those different shows. Shout it out Loudcast, Jay from The Hook Rocks, Mark from Performance Anxiety, Martin Popoff of History and Five Songs. Had the folks of the Metallica Report on. I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody and I'm sorry about that. But it's a great, great lineup of shows. I encourage you to go to PantheonPodcast.com or follow at Pantheon Pods to learn all about all those great shows. And I have to mention that we are sponsored by the great RareVinyl.com. Based in the UK, but shipping all over the world, you guys. Rare Vinyl's been doing this for 40 years, over a quarter million items in stock. They take great care to procure this stuff, keep it in good shape, and then send it to you wherever you are in great shape. So I don't care if you're in Michigan or Madagascar. You go to rarevinyl.com, you find something that you love, you plug in code UGLY, and you'll save 10%. Now, that's a one-time code, so don't just go buy one $8 CD. Go buy a bunch of stuff, and then you save yourself more. Maybe you could get all the shipping knocked off if you buy enough stuff. So again, go to rarevinyl.com, use the code UGLY, save 10%. We've seen a lot of great orders rolling in. And believe me, they're not all rock and roll. They've got classical music, as we know from some of the orders. They've got pop music. And they don't just have records. They've got tour programs. They've got classic t-shirts. They've got point-of-sale items from record stores. Stuff that you can't find anywhere. So go to rarevinyl.com, use the code UGLY, save yourself 10%. And so I'm excited to bring you this free agent show. I think it's a pretty neat idea. I think it'll stir up a lot of conversations, a lot of thought, and I bet we get slammed by a lot of people on social media, because I I guess that's all social media is really for, is to slam people whose ideas are different from yours. But we welcome them. We want to hear what your ideas are, and we want you to hear about ours. So here we go. It's the top 10 rock and roll free agent pickups of all time, right here on The Wolf. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. 
Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything factor meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, uh, oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. So this is kind of a fun idea that we concocted. You know, we're kind of sports fans and, you know, they're always doing lists like best free agent pickups, right? Like, you know, how Reggie White was the best free agent pickup in like the history of the NFL when Green Bay got him and helped Brett Favre win a Super Bowl, you know, and it's kind of getting to that time of year, you know, for, for some leagues to start back up. It's like, okay, whose free agent picks are going to work out? Whose will be a bust? All that kind of stuff. But If you think about it, it's the same thing in a rock band. If you lose somebody and then you get someone new, that's a free agent pickup. Correct. Either for difference of opinion or for alcohol, drug abuse, death. Yeah, Mm -hmm. all kinds of different things. But yeah, I think we're going to focus on a member of the band that they picked up where the band just got a lot better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's what our focus is here today is like, what are the best free agent pickups in rock history? When you got somebody new in the band, did they take the band 
to a new level, whether it's a new level of musicality, like the band now makes better music, or it's a new path to stardom, like you're a bigger band than you ever were before, like you were kind of middling, okay, we're selling some records, we're doing some tours, and then somebody comes and takes you and whoo, takes you to the next level there. And not as easy as I thought it would be to do well, this list. Yeah, yeah, because at first, yeah, this is going to take five minutes, but then you start second guessing yourself. But then the other thing that I wanted to, we got to set the rules here. Are we talking about the band got better for a period of time, or are we talking just the one record where they were like, wow, this is really a game changer? All right, first, let's lay out the rules. Okay, the rules are the band would have to have released an album with somebody, and then at least one, at least one, could be many. But you have to have at least one album release with someone who then leaves for whatever reason, musical differences, death, they get kicked out, drugs, whatever it is. And then someone else comes in and records at least one album with them. So for instance, Kirk Hammett of Metallica wouldn't count. Because although famously Dave Mustaine was in Metallica before him and helped write the songs, Kirk recorded on their first album, Kill Em All. Now Robert Trujillo could be one. Right, because they did many albums before he came along, and then he eventually replaced Jason Newstead. So you could count him as a great one, and we'll see if he makes any lists. But so those were the rules. You had to, they had to make at least one album before this person entered the band. And then the quality is, it's kind of up to you. It's, it's, you can weigh it however you want. Did it make the band better? Did it make their music better? Did it put them on a new trajectory? So maybe it's just one album. You're like, okay, this is the difference that that person made. Maybe that person only came in for a, an album or two and then they went away. Uh, but that was part of whittling it down. That was hard for me because I had, I got to about 12 pretty easily. And mm. I've also got, I've got about a half dozen honorable mentions that we'll talk about at the end of the list. Okay. But for me, it was like, what kind of impact does this have for the band? What kind of historical impact does it have in music overall or their genre of music or their catalog? And how did it change their trajectory as far as what, you know, how popular or big of a band were they before this person came in? And then how big were they once they had that person in the band? So it was hard to get to 10 and then making the actually ranking them was damn near impossible. And I'll, I'll probably, <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll probably second guess myself three times through this, but it, was that kind of similar for you? Yeah, because it was it was easy at first, and then you really start thinking about, like, what are we talking about impact, like, for that one record, or impact, like, they would, the first record was meh, that they did was okay, but then they really, you know, came on a couple, two, three albums later. That mm -hmm. was my problem, is or my issue was you could second guess this list a thousand times yeah yeah and, and you know it's just again it's one of those things where it's you know who are your top 10 favorite bands well today it may you may always be the same top three or four but those five through ten may change based on what you heard on the radio that day right well so. and, and it, it's interesting too because you had mentioned metallica and jason newstead he's not on my list i didn't put him on this list not a surprise and well and well the so there's there's the problem was he got there and then they started to get big but mm -hmm. was it because of him or was it just because that was the time and it really could have been anybody playing the bass and they still would have been the same band? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a fair question. Yeah. So this will be fun. This ought to be good for some discussion and there's possibility we'll have to come do this again tonight to finish it. But all right. Right. Well, because this, this could be about a four hour conversation. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Hi, my name's Stefan Shirazi from the Metallica Report and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London. 
Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We'll start with each other's 10. We'll talk about each other's 10 and then we'll do each other's nine. And we'll kind of go up that way. All right. So I'll start with my number 10, which is going to be kind of a weird one, considering we're not real big fans of this band. Okay. But number 10, I put Kevin Cronin of REO Speedwagon interesting okay okay because he did they did a first album without him with a guy named terry luttrell as their original lead singer Mm -hmm. and then in in and then he left and he did a band called star castle so in 1972 the first album that kevin was on was called reo 2 all right then he left again in 73 they brought in a guy named mike murphy to come in and he did a few albums and and kevin cronin was off being a solo artist and then in 76 they had him come back again. So technically, he was a two-time free agent pickup for them. And I think <laughs> I think he was a he was a solo artist both times. I know he was the second time. I couldn't find a ton of information on the first time. But that's why if you listen to classic rock radio, they only play the live version of Riding the Storm Out because they made that when Mike Murphy was in the band. But it's a killer song. But if you don't hear it with Kevin Cronin, it doesn't sound right. So that's why they, whenever you listen to classic rock and they play Ride in the Storm out, they, at least very rarely, do you ever hear the Mike Murphy version. It's, it's generally always the live version with Kevin Cronin. Now, again, I'm not a huge REO Speedwagon fan. I know you're not either. But with him in the band, they became huge. That high infidelity yeah. record that they did in 1980 or 81 or whatever it was, that was the number one selling album of the year. That sold like 10 million copies. And mm-hmm. we know the huge hits they had in the 80s, which made them multi-platinum and really allowed them to continue to, to tour to this day. So while I'm not a huge fan and maybe they're not a Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame kind of band, to me, Kevin Cronin is my number 10 pick. Okay. Now, just out of curiosity, because I did zero research on Kevin Cronin, does he write the songs also? Yeah, he, he writes a lot of the songs. Okay, okay. So that I, so that yeah. That was a big criteria for me is is you're there, but are you really are you contributing, you know, songwriting or how what's your contribution? Okay. Yeah, that's fair so enough, yeah. My number ten was Marty Freeman from Megadeth. Okay. And yeah, because he to me when he and this was a tough one because he doesn't write the songs, but I feel like once he got there for Rust in Peace in 1990, he replaced a guy Jeff Young, who was only there for one album, So Far So Good, mm-hmm. uh, in '88. And th- and this is where it's like I could go either way on this because I think his playing 
definitely move them into a different stratosphere as far as what he could do the soloing he could do a lot of acoustic work uh-huh. he's a hell of a player yeah but he doesn't write any of the songs so is it a case where Mustaine just kind of got into a different era of being a better songwriter mm. and then having this dude beside him put them into you know thrash's number one position in that 89 90 up until the early 90s i think freeman was there till the late 90s early 2000s but that to me he to me he changed the game as far as his playing well that's a cool pick and obviously marty's a badass thrasher guitar player and and he's back i don't know if he's back with them now i know he's done shows with them i don't think he's back in the band but right of all the dudes that mustaine ever steamrollered and you know, threw out of the band it mm-hmm. seems like they have a pretty good relationship he can come back and play some shows and they can still be friendly toward each other. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And I think he, he, he may even live in Japan at least. Yeah, part of he the does. Year. I mean, it's, yeah, it's very funny. He's a very diminutive person and he, to see him speak fluent Japanese, is pretty, it's pretty out there. That's cool. Well, that's a good pick. Well, and another thing we should probably talk about is we, we wanted to put some information around these picks as well. So we generally try to talk about the band they were in before they came to the big band, the person they replaced, the year if we got it, the album, the first album they played on, and then we talk about their legacy, right? As far as what did it mean to the band and to their career. So, but that's a good that's a good pick, number ten, Marty Friedman is not going to be on my list, just like I'm sure Kevin Cronin is not going to be on yours. That is correct, yes. All right, Uh, then why don't you go with your number nine now? I'm going to say probably number nine would be, I'm going to say probably number nine is Adrian Smith from Iron Maiden. Mm -hmm. And only because he got there for Killers in 81. So that was kind of right before they took off. He replaced Dennis Stratton in Mm -hmm. 1980 from a band called Urchin. That's right. He, the, my other thing too is he would go on to do a lot of stuff for them, be a big time songwriter. Basically, as we've talked about before on, on our Iron Maiden shows when we saw him live, he is the lead guitarist in the band. But on Killers, he doesn't have any writing credits. That doesn't show up until Number of the Beast. So this was one of those like they picked him up. I think he made the band better, but his contributions would come in later. Uh, up until this day well that's true and he is a fantastic uh, guitar player heck of a good songwriter and yeah he did leave iron maiden for a while was a decent had a decent solo thing and the thing that he's the stuff that he's doing now with richie kotzen is getting a lot of attention too you know it's like he can still be in iron maiden and do side projects that are good as well you know so uh, yeah, so that's that's a good that's a good pick, and we may we may hear about that band a little bit later in the countdown. You know, oh, I'm know. sure we will. Now, for my number nine, I cheated a little bit. Oh boy, because I'm I'm picking two people, what? and there's there's two. They, I've done this twice on this list, so I know that's a little bit cheaty. <laughs> but it's it's it, I made up the rules, so I'm going to break my rules, right? So for number nine, I put Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page in the Yardbirds. 
Okay. Okay. And obviously Jeff came first. He was doing uh, a lot of session work, just like Jimmy was. Obviously, he replaced Eric Clapton in the Yardbirds, came in in 65. He was in a band called the Tridents. But he was doing, you know, some some uh, session work, you know. And they, the thing is, the, the Yardbirds didn't re- release a ton of albums. But it was the one, it was called the Yardbirds, but it kind of became famous for known as Roger the Engineer. Mm-hmm. And and then before too long, Paul Samuel Smith decided he didn't want to play anymore. Jimmy Page came as the bass player until they could convert Chris Drea to, uh, to bass. And then it was Jimmy and Jeff. And then technically Jimmy replaced Jeff as the sole guitar player in the Yardbirds in 66. And he was on Little Games. And obviously he took the new Yardbirds out, who eventually became Led Zeppelin. They're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because of this band. They're also in Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for what they did after this band. The Yardbirds kind of ended not too long after this, but the Yardbirds are a seminal kind of blues and psychedelic rock act. They may not have been there for that long. They may not have made that many records while they were in the band, but their legacy is so strong. I was going to put them at number 10 just because they didn't make a ton of records with the Yardbirds, either of them. But because they are such legendary guitar players, I had to kind of put them in here and do uh, and put them at nine. Yeah, I figured they'd show up somewhere here. That that uh, combination of the three of those guys is insane that they were in the same band. But you're right, I don't think the Yardbirds ever really got there. They never really got to the next level, like of the Stones or the Beatles or, any, or really into the big time of the... British invasion. I then that could be because the lineup changed so many maybe, times. Maybe, yeah, maybe so. I mean, I know Jeff had a hard time on that tour that they did of America, and Jimmy toured with them in America like four times. Like they just kept mm-hmm. coming to America, kept coming, and it helped blow them up, you know. But it yeah. also helped him understand how the business works. How do you get around America? Oh, who's this Peter Grant guy? He might be helpful in breaking us a new band in America. Hmm. Yeah. So. <laughs> It may be more of their Jeff Beck and Led Zeppelin legacy are, are, are because of their time in the Yardbirds, but that's why I put them at number nine. Okay, and then I'll go again now. Number eight. Okay. Ronnie James Dio, Black Sabbath. Okay. Obviously, he replaced Ozzy. He didn't come out of nowhere. He had been in Rainbow with Richie Blackmore. He had been an elf before that, and he joined in 1980 for the incredible Heaven and Hell album. <laughs> And his legacy is intact. I mean, that album is heavy metal royalty. I mean, to me, that's Desert Island Disc for heavy metal albums. Maybe even more so than than most. For me personally, it's 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 more so than the Ozzy albums. Not that I don't like Ozzy. Not that he didn't help create that music and create that sound that was identifiable with Black Sabbath and heavy metal. But Ronnie James Dio's voice was incredible, and his legacy in metal is intact to this day. Of course, he would eventually leave after a couple albums and a live album. They did Heaven and Hell. They did Mob Rules. They did Live Evil, and then he was out. He came back for Computer God. Timing wasn't good. He's out. Then they came back. I did Heaven and Hell uh, in the aughts, and it was very successful. And I got to see him do those classic songs live with Geezer and Tony and Vinny, and it was awesome. Now, obviously, he didn't stay in the band, and Black Sabbath was huge before he got there. And then after he left, they kind of went through some troubled times. So it's not like he took them to a level they were never at before. They were arguably bigger before him, and they did fine with him, at least in the early 80s. But I just think that 
this was the best matchup. I mean, better than the stuff he did as a solo artist. As much as I love Rainbow, better than the stuff he did in Rainbow. Those two albums are killer, and this cements his legacy as a legend. So that's why I put I put him at number eight with Black Sabbath. Okay, he's definitely on my list. He's a little higher up than that, only because you were talking about him coming into Black Sabbath. I think he basically resurrected them. I mean, but what did they, like, can you name one song off of Never Say Die from 78? Title track? Uh, yeah, <laughs> get, yeah. At that point in time, no one really cared. They kind of passed their prime. Everybody was sick of Ozzy. Ozzy was sick of everyone. So they decided that was it. He came in, did Heaven and Hell, did Mob Rules, and and took them, made people remember Black, about Black Sabbath, and then took them into the 80s and put them in a position where they could come back and do the stuff with Ozzy, I think, in the early 2000s also. So I think that he definitely contributed a lot to this. I mean, he wrote all of the, I think he wrote all the lyrics for Heaven and Hell. So he came in as a plug and play guy. The other thing that I was trying to do too was look at the ages of the people that, that when they came in. Mm-hmm. So for instance, you know, Adrian Smith was 24. Marty Freeman was 22. Ronnie was 37 when he came into, when Black he Sabbath. joined Black Sabbath. Yeah. So he was already established. So to me, that's a much, I mean, you, so you didn't get some kid who was, right. yeah, I think he's, I think he's got some flash, but whatever. You knew what you were getting with this guy. You wanted him to come in and write this record for you and put you back on the map. I'm with you there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right. So who do you have at number eight? Number eight. Okay. This is controversial here. I have Mick Taylor from the Rolling Stones. Okay. And I say that because I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He came in and he did the classic golden age lineup of the Rolling Stones. You know, yeah. with Sticky Fingers, Exile on Main Street, Goat's Head Soup. It's only rock and roll. He didn't really write any of the music. The only writing credit I could find for him was Ventilator Blues on Exile. Mm-hmm. He he definitely brought his style of guitar, definitely amped up the playing. But, but here's the thing. The last album Brian Jones was on, really, was Beggar's Banquet. Right. Right? Because, I mean, Let It Bleed doesn't really count. He was on a couple things, but he was already on the way out. Yeah. So and McTaylor did a couple things on Let It Bleed. Correct. Yeah. So yeah. that was kind of that transitional record. So mm-hmm. really, I'm going with Sticky Fingers and Beggar's Banquet as the two. Brian Jones on on uh, Beggar's Banquet is credited for slide guitar, acoustic guitar, harmonica, mellotron, sitar, maracas, and there was something else that he did too that was a tiny little thing. It looked like a baby being an sitar. asshole. That, oh, well, yes. <laughs> yeah, he was definitely, he's a head of black belt and being an asshole. The tambura. Now, okay. Taylor was credited with electric guitar and acoustic guitar on Sticky Fingers. Mm-hmm. So my point is, had Jones been able to keep it together, I think he's one, it, it, they could have done something totally different. He just couldn't do it. He was completely out of his mind, they, unusable at that point in time. So they had to move on from him and do something different. Yep. So that's why I'm like, I, I, I like Mick Taylor. I like the way that he plays. I love those albums, but there's always that what if with Brian Jones to me, what if he had held his stuff together? What would they have done with him in the later records? Well, and you could, it's a what if with Mick Taylor too. Right. He didn't maybe have the breadth of, or the weirdness and the odd stuff that Brian could bring to the table, 
but he was maybe the best damn slide blues guitar player mm-hmm. like ever, you know, yeah. and, and really changed their sound in, in a major way for the, in a positive way. He's kind of a wonderkind at that. So yeah, he, his first album was Sticky Fingers came from the, the blues breakers very famously, mm-hmm. just like Eric Clapton, just like Peter Green. So yeah, a very, I mean, that's a good call. He might just end up uh, on my list as well. We're just going to have to. Alrighty. Just have gonna, to wait and see. Have to wait and see. Yeah. Have to wait and see. All right, so that's number eight for both of us. What uh, what have you got for number seven? Number seven, I think I'm going to go with Phil Collin from Def Leppard. Big call, yeah. Yeah, came came in in 82, replaced Pete Willis from a band called Girl, yep. which I, I guess was a, I, I couldn't tell you one song that they wrote, but apparently they were pretty famous in London because the Def Leppard guys knew him. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Pete Willis was not just not working out at this point in time. He was, I think he was a guy who was a pretty good club band person and maybe, you know, album one, album two. Now they're getting to the point where they want to be big time. He's not the guy for it. He's starting to drink now. They bring in, they bring in Colin, I guess from that documentary we watched with Neil, they actually brought him to Mutt Lang and said, is this the guy? And Mutt said, yes. My only, the only reservation i have is that when while he would go on to do a lot of stuff for the band he has no writing credits on pyromania so his contributions as far as writing would come with hysteria and later on but i think he definitely injected kind of the rock star rock god persona into the band that they did not have before because because even though steve clark he was the blues guy the jimmy page guy yeah. he never wanted to be that shredder that Phil Collins was. That Phil Collins still is today. Yeah. 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 And is still in great shape, still singing yeah. well, still playing well, taking care of himself. He actually made my honorable mentions list. He was okay. He was top 12, and I'm like, well, he's got to be top 10, doesn't he? And then I just kind of said, all right, well, someone has to fall <laughs> out of this list, you know? Uh, and so I just, I, I left him out just because I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I, I had to take him out. I had to take somebody out. You know, I had my reason. I guess I could just defend some of these other ones better. Or, you know, it's like they hit the big time with Pyromania, no doubt about it. But some of Pete Willis's songwriting is on Pyromania, you know? Right. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't know. I mean, he, he, it was hard for me to leave him off, but I mean, you, you can only have 10. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of cheated with a couple of duos anyway, so <laughs> I had to take him off. But, you know, good call on Phil. My number seven is Steve Perry from Journey. Because okay. that's, that's a big deal. When he replaced Robert Fleischman, their fortunes changed in a huge, huge way. They went from being a maybe gold selling act to a multi-platinum selling act overnight. Like, mm-hmm. all, all the stuff they did before Steve Perry got there sold okay, all the stuff after he got there, we're talking 3 million, 6 million, you know, more even, you know, throughout the 80s and stuff like that. He's got a very recognizable voice, so much so that John Kane and Neil Sean had to go to the Philippines just <laughs> to find somebody who was close enough, right? You know, mm-hmm. so and his first album was Infinity in 1977. You know, that had lights, which is kind of the San Francisco theme song kind of. And it, it, it just started to propel them. And songs like Wheel of the Sky, Fleischman couldn't sing the songs the same way. You know, he just gave him more dynamics. He did help write all the songs. He did do some solo stuff. And he, he was in some strange band names 
over the years before he got to Journey. Alien Project may have been about the, the closest one to Journey. I just think that's a great name. But he did work with some other famous people in that. But, I mean, you can't deny... I mean, without Steve Perry, Journey's not a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame band. They're not one of the biggest bands of the 80s. But with him, they absolutely are. So, to me, Steve Perry is is it's definitely one of the top 10 free agents of all time. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. that He took them from kind of an okay band to, you know, what they became, you know, 10 million selling um, super group. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I mean, my only my only problem with Journey is I I wish they could have hung on to Greg Raleigh because I like when the two of them oh, sing yeah. together. Yeah, but absolutely. it's interesting when it went like the same way, right? When the mm-hmm. when they kind of when they sing back and forth, you can tell Raleigh is a great singer, but Perry is just that much better. Like he is the front man. When he comes in, he just takes over and you're like, yeah. That's the guy. Sorry, that's the Greg. guy. No, he's got the voice. It's there's yeah. no doubt about it. It's not really up for debate. You know, yeah. He's, <laughs> <laughs> he's got he's the real deal you know uh so and that's why they tried steve augieri oh he's steve perry with a perm no he's not i think they tried <laughs> jeff scott soto for a while he's arnell pineda he he's really good uh, he, he sings his heart out every night doing his best steve perry impersonation and he does a fine job i've seen him live and i appreciate what he does mm-hmm. but the reason he's doing it is because of steve perry <laughs> right i mean you know. right correct yeah. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. yeah that's what that's what you're there for you're not there to do anything new you're there yeah. to make the crowd happy that's right all right so pretty cool we have no repeats so far in our list i think that's probably going to change as we get a little higher up here i would think so what what number are we on now we're going to be on six six and i'm going to go first so you get time to get yours together all right six i'm inserting phil collins to genesis in 1970 now the reason this isn't higher is because the first seven six or seven years he was in the band or whatever it was certainly the first five or so years he was quote unquote just the drummer okay right and and then peter gabriel leaves after lamb lies down on broadway and then after auditioning a hundred different people they said okay we'll just have phil do the singing he's fine he's got it anyway right and then they famously had bill bruford on the first tour of america before they got chester thompson in to do it phil was in flaming youth before he joined the boys in genesis his first album was nursery crime as it was for steve hackett now phil was they all they always kind of did music by genesis so we figured Tony Banks and Peter Gabriel and Mike Rutherford and even Steve Hackett did most of the writing and Phil would help out in the areas. Obviously, he did the drumming parts and he did sing on a couple of songs before Peter left. But once Pete left and then even after once Steve left on the Then There Were Three album, because they did Trick of the Tail and Wind of the Wuthering with Steve Hackett, but without Peter Gabriel, those did okay. But as soon as they did the And Then There Were Three album and the Follow You, Follow Me song came, then their audience double overnight. All of a sudden, girls were like, there's a band called Genesis. Oh, my God, I didn't know that. And then getting in the 80s, they were this juggernaut, right? They were huge, huge on MTV, selling all sorts of records. They wouldn't have sold 100 million records if Phil Collins had not become their singer and one of their main songwriters. He wouldn't have had one of the biggest solo careers anyone's ever had if he hadn't started as the singer in Genesis. But because... He was, quote unquote, just the drummer for those years. Yes, contributing. Yes, an important member of the band. But he's not out front singing. He's not a main songwriter. I have him at six 
But it's it's interesting that two 100 million selling record careers, that of Genesis and that of Phil Collins solo, wouldn't have happened if he hadn't joined as the drummer in 1970. Well, yeah, and here's here's where I was kind of having a hard time ranking these things because you're right. When he joined, he was just the drummer. He didn't he didn't pick it up until several albums later, where he became the voice. But this one, so you're talking about nursery crime in '71. Yes, the the pickup of Phil and Steve Hackett that kind of started like the golden age of the of Peter Genesis. Gabriel Genesis records. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was like, man, it's hard to rank this because you're right. He kind of was laying in wait there for a while until he could really come on and show you what he could do as far as taking the band in a whole new direction. That's right. And then making them giant rock stars and not prog rock. Well, I mean, not, not that they weren't big stars back then, but like just in a different, you know, it's a whole different, different stratosphere. Yeah. yeah it's, correct. it's a bunch of dudes scratching their chins like, mm, this is very good what they're doing here. And then it's, you know, people, women, families follow you. With, yeah. you know, they're, they're all over it, you know, it's. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's i mean it's two very different bands both successful but the 80s genesis is enormodome successful you know yeah. it's crazy yeah. yeah and i think i think i probably had him about the same on the list only because he yeah he, he wasn't going to come on at that time oh so you have him at number six well, you know, a six-ish. I'm kind of moving these things around now in my head. Well, you got it. You got to pick a six. It's your turn now, man. Okay. Mm, this is hard. You know what? I think. I think for if if I don't say, you know what? I'll I'll say Phil Collins is six because I think now talking about this, my next pick, I think I can move up higher. But it's this kind of the same. It's kind of the same thought, though, because I would say that it's David Gilmore from Pink Floyd. Okay, you got David Gilmore. At number five, yeah, okay. and why? So five. we're kind of we're kind of in the same deal here. They need somebody, so he comes in. He replaces Sid Barrett, who was the the architect and the kind of the brains behind. I don't know about brains, kind of the heart and soul of Pink Floyd at the beginning. He just he begins to develop some mental problems. It kind of drifts away. They don't know what's going to happen. They pick up David. He comes on for Umagumma in '69. Mm-hmm. Doesn't write anything on that, but goes on to contribute big time later on. Uh, was in a band. I got Flowers. Then they became Bullet. I don't know. There wasn't a mm-hmm. whole lot on him before he before he joined. He was only 23 when he came on board. Gotcha. So, so to me, this was one of those, like he would, not that he didn't contribute right off the bat, but I think his big stuff would come in later. Well, that's true. And his big stuff would be awfully big. Right, right. I mean, it, it's going to be huge, but not at this point in time. Interesting. Interesting, interesting. Okay. Well, hold on to that thought because okay. we may see David Gilmore again. Okay. On somebody else's list. Hi, my name is Renee Richardson from the Metallica Report, and you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London. Did I get that right? (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. My number five is my second duo, and that's Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks of Fleetwood Mac. Okay. 
Okay, Fleetwood Mac came out of the remnants of the Blues Breakers in 68 or so with Peter Green fronting the band, basically getting John McVie and Mick Fleetwood from the Blues Breakers, the rhythm section, giving them that name because he knew he would eventually move on and do something else. And then they would have something for themselves. He was a very generous man, but also became a bit of a weirdo and had mental problems of his own. They did well. I think they did very well in England. They did okay in America. They had a few lineup changes. And eventually they brought in Christine Perfect from Chickenfoot to put some female vocals in the band. But it was 75 when Mick Fleetwood had heard the Buckingham Knicks album, asked Lindsay to join as a singer, songwriter, guitar player. They said, no, me and Stevie are a package deal. So he's like, okay, yeah, he didn't even, they didn't even audition. He just said, fine, bring her, you're both in. And th- then they did the 1975 self-titled Fleetwood Mac album, which was really really big Lindsay replaced bob welch as the guitar player um stevie just kind of came in as another singer so that was 75 and then of course rumors in 77 was enormous look both Lindsay and stevie are talented songwriters so they went from having christine in the band as the only songwriter really to having now these two amazing songwriters both with great voices Lindsay's a heck of a guitar player a heck of an arranger and basically he came in and took over for the most part, Lindsay came in and ran the show, especially after rumors. You know, they, they couldn't go to the bathroom without Lindsay's permission after that. <laughs> okay. And they became, they went from being a cool blues outfit to being one of the biggest pop rock acts of the 70s and the 80s. And they're still going. So, uh, yeah, that's my number five, Buckingham Knicks. Thank you so much. It's our honor. Well, I'm glad that you... I'm glad that you made that a twofer because I was kind of going through some, I was just Googling, you know, best lineup changers or whatever. And they did mention it was ultimate classic rock or something said, uh, Lindsay Buckingham. And I, I don't, you can't take one without the other right. in, in that world, because to me, Stevie's voice, I understand they, they went back and forth. They traded off, but her, once she got there, if you took all of the, like the classic Fleetwood Mac tracks, she's got the bulk of them singing lead. Like yeah, she, she does. She, yeah, she brought them. She brought a lot to them as far as the the vocals and just kind of being that like you know sex symbol for the seventies. Exactly. Yeah. Not to mention she went on to have a rock and roll hall of fame solo career mm-hmm. thanks to what happened in Fleetwood Mac. I mean, you're you're talking about what's his name from Journey, the keyboard player, uh, Greg Raleigh. Greg Raleigh, who yeah. is probably the most unknown two time member of the Rock and Roll <laughs> Hall of Fame, to Stevie Nicks, who is the lone female two-time member Mm -hmm. of the rock and roll hall of fame and most deserving to be so you know and yes enchanting and like you got them together and it was that buckingham Knicks. by the way if you can find that lp somewhere you got a little piece of gold in your hands there you know you've got at least hundreds of dollars no matter what condition it's in if it's mint whoo don't lose that baby where could you get that though possibly well i mean you could have to find it in a bin somewhere and somebody didn't really know what they had they've still to this day never released it on cd which is shocking to me but you couldn't look for it like on a website or anything you could probably find it on ebay you could probably find or it some places you're gonna have to pay maybe? for it though or someplace else someplace like, like rare vinyl i don't think they have one because i've looked uh, but you could keep but, looking there though. exactly you should go to rare vinyl and just get updates <laughs> from rare vinyl and then if it did come and it's 600 pounds or something like that you could save 60 pounds with the code ugly there you go there you but go the, guys the, the most insane story about that is i wasn't fleetwood mac gonna record at some records a recording studio they wanted to know what it was all about and the guy said well here here's a record we just recorded and it was buckingham nicks was that the record plant 
I don't know. Yeah, and and was they it? said, well, these guys, this is fantastic. We need these people. We need him in the band. And then mm-hmm. he brought her along, and the, it was just happenstance. Yes, but it was incredible happenstance. And it just shows you how tenuous all this is you know <laughs> how because i mean my experience is all bands are on the brink of breaking up at any given moment because it's a four or five way marriage at all times so that could fall apart because someone's acting like a jerk or someone's got drug or alcohol problems or someone's listening to the wrong people and so that could happen at any time and also you know all the stuff that happens by chance that what if that didn't happen you know what if he didn't show up to the audition that day or you know what if they they they'd given him you know some other album to listen to you know i mean so many different roads you could go down there so it's just there's so many people who we haven't heard because the luck happenstance didn't happen that way but we just have to appreciate the ones that have happened i guess well and especially back then i mean you were talking about journey the only reason that arnell got into the band was because somebody sent neil Schoen a youtube video of him playing at the hard rock in manila and said you've got to check this guy out so back back in the days before the the heady days of the internet yeah it's it was just it was just luck of the draw and then I, we were talking to uh, chris slade too and he was man i can't remember what the name of that place was but it was some coffee shop where if you were a musician, you went in there and you, you hung know, out, kind of hung around, yeah, and looking for a job. So, yeah, yeah, waiting for the next gig. Yeah, absolutely. Correct. All right. Well, so number four for me is one who's already on your list. I put Mick Taylor of the Rolling Stones, and you're right. He didn't write a lot of the songs, or at least he didn't get credit for well, okay. writing the songs. That's that's probably a better yeah, because uh, I think that was part of the problem why he decided to leave. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And we, we went over that on our Goat Said Soup episode with performance anxiety. You know, Mick and Keith were pissed that Alan Klein had taken 50% of their publishing. So mm. once Mick Taylor joins the band, they're not in the mood to share. You know, <laughs> they're like, no, now we need to keep everything that's ours. And, you know, even on a track that Keith didn't play on and Mick Taylor helped write, Keith got the writing credit and Mick Taylor didn't get anything. And that's like, okay, this isn't working for me. But... The albums that he played on, including Let It Bleed, through It's Only Rock and Roll, that was the heyday of the Rolling Stones. This is one of the biggest rock and roll bands ever. Obviously, one of our favorites, still going today. And it was because of his flavor that he added on these songs. It was the mix that he added. It's immortal. Uh, mm-hmm. These are the best. These are the best records they ever did. So his tenure was short. No, he didn't get a lot of writing credit. But in my opinion, they wouldn't still be doing it today if they hadn't had Mick in the band those years because they went from being kind of a a pop act where girls would scream and they would run off the stage in the 60s to what they did in the late 60s and the early 70s. This is a real hardcore blues rock and roll band. And he had a he had a big he was a big part of it. Yeah. And I think that they yeah, they would not have had the legacy they have today if it wasn't for those records. I mean the stuff with uh, with Ronnie Wood in the '80s. I mean it's it's good, but it's not it's not that it's still relying on that '70s kind of the '70s era to prop it up. I think I agree with that. All right, so who would your number four be? Number four is going to be Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden. Ah, so we already now, have two Iron Maidens on your list here. I do, I do, and I th- I think because this was the record that that broke them this was the record that that kind of put them into the into the different stratosphere they wanted to be in but again on this one he didn't write any of the songs he had the voice but they had the songs he would start writing songs later but i think this this was the record that uh that put them on the path of where they wanted to go 
came out of a band called Samson. Yep. Uh, in 19, he joined in 1981, replaced Paul Diano, who we've talked about this a couple of times on this show. We like the Paul Diano records. He does a great job for what they were doing then. He right. just couldn't take them to the next level where Bruce could. And, you know, the, the whole thing about when he joined Samson, you know, well, it, it doesn't pay well. What do you mean? It pays? So, <laughs> so somebody who all he ever wanted to do was play music once he got that bug in him. And I think that, uh, you know, still on tour today, still making records today in 2023, this band would not have been where it is without him. I totally agree with you. And he's my number three since we're that close anyway. Okay. I, okay. I, I put him at number three. Yeah. Comes in for number of the beast. That was the game changer for them. And his vocal style is, is unbelievable. It's, it's operatic almost. And you're right. Yeah. He would write more songs later, but as a front man, someone who could command the stage mm-hmm. who runs all over the place still today in his sixties. I mean, we just saw him do it live and he was amazing in Europe. Uh, and he doesn't seem to be slowing down now. Paul Diano, he's more of a club act mm-hmm. guy. He, he 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 almost didn't really want to be worldwide famous. Just just being the right. the baddest dude in a bar. That's as high as he ever really <laughs> wanted to get. He, he didn't see a world beyond. Whereas Bruce is well, he's an extraordinary man outside of the band, right? You know. Um, so yeah, no, I mean Bruce Dickinson, Iron Maiden. Could have been number one, could have been higher, but uh, but I put him at three. You put him at four. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna probably guess that number one is gonna be the same, but we'll get to that in just a few moments. Oh, I don't think it will. You don't think so? I don't think it will. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So am so, I going? Num- am I? You're going, going number th- three. Yeah. Number three. I'm gonna put Sammy Hagar from Van Halen. Interesting. And I say that because okay, so Sammy was a, he was in Montrose. For a while and right. i don't i mean i think montrose did well kind of on the hard rock deal i didn't ever remember hearing them until i was in high school and then hearing sammy hagar solo stuff and then working it back to montrose but that's where he came from was you know i can't drive 55 the solo stuff replaced david lee roth in 1985 and the reason that i put him up so high is because van halen was coming off of a huge record the, the yeah. biggest record they'd ever had and it's like, and now everybody in the band is important, but it's really tough to lose the lead singer. Yeah. And so to replace him with somebody else and to go on to have success, that was probably not, most people probably wouldn't have bet on that. Now, Sammy was 39 when he joined the band. And I think this was another calculated move, kind of like Ronnie, where you needed somebody who was going to come in write the songs kind of, you know, as you were talking about with Lindsey Buckingham, kind of lead the band. That's mm-hmm. what they were looking for. And that's what they got with Sammy Hagar. Wow, everybody. I just want to say thank you. Well, that is a very interesting pick. Probably going to be a controversial pick. Oh, boy. Of people who listen to this. I have him as an honorable mention. Okay. Uh, and the reason I didn't put him in the top 10 was because Van Halen was already huge mm-hmm. before he got there. Now, it, with respect to him, 1984 only got to number two. It was the highest of any of the Dave albums. All of the Sammy albums went to number one. But part of that's because Van Halen's already famous and huge, right? Right. He is a talent. He's a much better singer than Dave is. And he's a decent guitar player, too. And I kind of wish there'd been more dual guitar stuff in his era of Van Halen. But because, yeah, because the work was done, I mean, they have two diamond selling albums. 
He's not on either one. And, you know, Van Halen was enormous. I mean, in 1984, they're the biggest band in the world. Sammy comes in, he does a good job. They write some good songs. They do some amazing tours. And I would hang out with Sammy in front of Dave seven (laughs) days of the week. I think he's a lot more talented than him. But did he take them to the next level or did he just kind of keep them at this huge level? And I feel like it was more the latter than the former. Mm, So... That's why I didn't put him on the band because it's not like no one would have heard of Van Halen if Sammy hadn't come along. Whereas, you know, if 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 Bruce Dickinson hadn't come along, Iron Maiden's fortunes would be completely different. Right. You know, so that's that was just that's the way I decided okay. to do it. You know, so that's that's why Sammy, you know, I made my my big list. I'm like, no, I'm not going to put him on. He's honorable mention because they were already Van Halen. They were already a rock and roll hall of fame type of band. And it was already Eddie's extraordinary guitar playing that put them on that level. They needed a singer. They got a great one, but it wasn't, and it changed their sound, but it wasn't like, okay, now they're at a whole new level. Now they're, mm-hmm. they're still at about the same level. So that was my reasoning. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So you want to go number two? Uh, I can go number two. Number two is your friend and mine, Brian Johnson from ACDC. Interesting pick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So replaced the legendary Bon Scott in 1980 from a band called Jordy, which right. is it, it's that's what they call people from somewhere. I don't remember exactly where he's from, but that's like they're that's the name for people there, which I didn't know until I started looking at this. Came in for, of course, Back in Black, the follow-up to Highway to Hell. And the reason I put this up so high was, I mean, it's a double diamond selling record, but mm-hmm. you're on the way up with your lead singer. You do Highway to Hell, that's great. And then he dies. What are you going to do now? You bring somebody in, he was 33 when he joined. Uh, yeah, 33 when he joined the band. Wrote is credited for writing all the lyrics on Back in Black. So uh, to me, this was what they needed to kind of unknowingly put them in a different stratosphere. I don't know what they would have done with Bond after. Yeah. Uh, could he have done this? I don't know. Yeah, and it's and uh, and apparently, in listening to the Rock on tours with Brian Johnson, the first song he ever wrote was "You Shook Me All Night Long," <laughs> like. He didn't write in Jordy. He just shows, okay, well, let's try yeah. this one. And it's, you shook me all night long. Like, you've got to be kidding me. You cannot deny the power of Back in Black. Sold like 50 million copies around the world or something mm-hmm. like that. And and yes, he did come in as a songwriter. Tough to replace such an iconic singer. But yes, took him to a level that they weren't at before. And they've kind of been up there really ever since. So I understand the pick. I don't even have him on my honorable mention list. Really? Which, which is probably insulting to him. And it's not because I don't like him or don't respect him. It's just, yeah, back in black, you can't deny it. But then after that, not too long after that, he kind of stopped writing songs altogether with them. It just kind of went back to, to the young brothers or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I don't like him as a singer as much as Bon Scott. So it's not like he took the singing to another level. He's good, but he's not better, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, that's why I guess I just didn't put him on there. Yeah, Alrighty. I mean, writing. Yeah, I mean, and, and, <laughs> yeah, I, I I love the guy. He's an icon. He's a legend. I love the albums, most of the albums with him. What we want to do is just thank you. Love that Thunderstruck era and when they played Donington, the ACDC Live era with Chris Slade. Love all that stuff. But I should probably have him as an honorable mention. But should, it should at least be on the honorable mention list. Uh, yeah, but but t- is he better than the guy he replaced? Well, but okay. But see, the thing is with this, in my thinking, you can't really say that because the guy he replaced was dead. 
there's nothing there's no there's label like well you know well, we thought we'd go in a different direction you you were you were screwed you had nothing and then he came along and at that point in time i think kind of put the band on his back and at least for that one record got them where they needed to go yeah i you know but, but phil collin was better than pete willis ronnie dame james dio was a better singer than ozzy osbourne and a better right. songwriter you know i mean mick taylor is a better blues guitar better, player than yeah, Brian guitar Jones. player yes steve perry is a better singer than robert fleischman i'm like is brian johnson better than bon scott and when i said no i couldn't put him on the list so okay. that's that's that was my reasoning well that's why we're here that, that's right that's if where the debate comes from this would be a very boring show. And we do agree a lot because we're just kind of in the same zone on a lot of stuff. So, <laughs> so that's good. All right. Well, here's where it's going to be a little different for you and me because okay. number two, I put Neil Peart of Rush. Okay. Did not put him number one. Replaced John Rutsey after they did the Rush album. First album was Fly By Night and joined the band in 74. And here's a little tidbit that I can't believe I didn't know. The band he was in before was called Hush. So he went from Hush to Rush. <laughs> I never knew that. All the books I've read about them, all the information I've absorbed on Rush over the years, I had no idea that he was in Hush. That's amazing. But he's arguably the greatest drummer in the history of rock music. He helped form their sound. The amount of music that they made with three people was extraordinary. It helped Alex and Getty lift their game. And not to mention, he writes all the lyrics because he was so well-read and mm -hmm. well-spoken and intelligent that he wrote about stuff that very few rock bands can't. So really put them on the prog, hard rock, Mount Rushmore of greatest bands ever. And it was really because of him. And obviously, he's more technical than, than Rutsy ever was. So yeah, I mean, love the guy. Saw him play 12 times. The band I've seen play the most live is Rush. And anytime it's like, okay, here's the drum solo. That's a bathroom break. Or I'm going to get a drink. Or let me go look at the t-shirts for a while. Not when Neil was doing his solo, man. That's why you went. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, about the greatest free agent pickup ever and i'm going to assume he's your number one that is correct yes and i put him in number one because it, like i said i was kind of going through here with the with the ages of people he was 23 when they picked him up from hush mm -hmm. replaced john rutsey in 74 and from day one like you said changed the game as far as like lyrical content if you go back and listen to that first rush record got no time to live in I'm working all the time. That's why they call me the working man. Okay. Yeah. That's a little, little on the nose there. You know, right. we, we need an upgrade here. He immediately, so he upgraded not only the, the songwriting, but the drumming to a point where, you know, he is arguably the number one drummer in hard rock, progressive rock, and he can write all the lyrics. And he was, he's an author and a guy who basically just said, what's the most excellent thing I can do today? I'm going to ride my bike 100 miles or mm -hmm. tour on my motorcycle and write books. And yeah, just a, just a guy who completely, I think to me, just completely changed that band and moved it into the direction. Even though they only had one record, you could see where that, that wasn't where they were mm -hmm. going to go without him. Yeah, an amazing man and a resilient man, you know, mm -hmm. to lose your wife and daughter in 18 months and not just totally pack it up. Do you know what would happen to me if that would happen? You know, you'd have your own show, Jackson. I wouldn't <laughs> be around anymore, you know, 
I feel exactly the same way. Yeah, it just yeah, a guy who could who could put up with a lot and was never really that. I mean, he never wanted to do meet and greets. He just he nah. just wasn't that kind of guy. Like he just wanted to play his music. Not that he was a jerk. He just didn't feel comfortable doing it. No, he's shy. That's okay. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, it makes me feel uncomfortable and say you're the greatest drummer in the whole. He doesn't want to hear that every right. night. You know, right. so so that's fine. You know, I understand. No, an extraordinary talent unbelievable he's number two for me number one for you but number one for me i had to put david gilmore man i just you know how big are pink floyd in the world of rock and roll how many records have they sold i mean you have to be the beatles led zeppelin elvis maybe the eagles to have outsold pink floyd and the reason that they had all that huge success Sorry, Roger, it's not you. <laughs> it's the voice of David Gilmore. You don't have the voice, Roger, and his extraordinary guitar playing. Now, I had a beef with some of your info there, because, yes, Amagama was the first one that did not feature Sid, but they were a five-piece, and he did play on Saucer Full of Secrets, their second album. Okay. He do, he's not on Piper at the Gates of Dawn, their first album, but he did come in in 67. Uh, and it, I think it was December of 67 they asked him to join. And then by March of 68, Sid was completely out or something like that because he was just losing his brain. Yeah, he was in Bullet. But the voice and the guitar of Pink Floyd, take his voice and his guitar out of Dark Side of the Moon. Take his voice and his guitar out of Wish You Were Here. Take his voice and guitar out of the wall. And what do you have? You know, you, you've got Roger whining about how the, everybody sucks. You know, it's it's not the same. And Dark Side of the Moon has outsold everything but Thriller, maybe, or maybe everything including Thriller. I don't know. And a lot of it's because of David's playing. So, you know, to me, they were kind of a weird psychedelic pop band talking about a weirdo who goes around sniffing girls' panties <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> to becoming the biggest band on the face of the earth in the 70s. And then as a, not just a retro act, yes, they, they made a Momentary Lapse of Reason and Division Bell, but a huge, huge act in the 80s and 90s, Sans Roger, Sans Sid. And I, you know, that's why I put, that's why I put Dave Gilmore number one. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. And that's, and I think that's why they'll never talk to each other again either, because you're right. If it wasn't for him, even though Waters is the kind of the architect, especially of the, of the wall and a lot of certain animals. Yeah. Yeah. But if it was, you're right. If it wasn't for Gilmer, they it would not have sounded the same. The playing wouldn't have been the same. It would, the, the content would probably have been the same, but the impact would not have been there. Exactly. I mean, you know, they're hugest band in the world. And a lot of that is because of, because of him, you know, so they may have done some collective songwriting, but the execution, they couldn't have gotten better than David Gilmore. So, mm. so to me, that's why he's number one. As far as honorable mentions go, yes, I did have Phil Collin on there, who was on your list. I did have Sammy Hagar, who was on your list. At first, I had Steve Howe in my top 12, just because I think his playing's extraordinary. He's an open channel. He's made so much great music in and out of Yes. But then I kind of started to realize, you know, a lot of people in Yes. I mean, Rick Wakeman is on my honorable mention list, of course. You know, he's really, I could probably put Jeff Downs on there. You know, there's a lot mm -hmm. of amazing musicians who've been in Yes. And while Steve was probably, he got, he was probably my number 11, you know, that I just, I said, nope, you can't be in the top 10, Steve. But <laughs> I, I was just like, nah, because you could put a lot of people from Yes on there. Steve Hackett was on there. Uh, and obviously, I'm a big fan of his. But I just, although they had that great heyday of progginess in the 70s, you know, they got huge, really huge once he left. And although I love his solo stuff, 
it's not super popular, especially here in America. I had Adrian Smith on my list. I just think that Bruce, as important as Adrian is to the band, Bruce's impact was bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when he left, when they both left uh, in the 90s, I think they missed Bruce more than they missed Adrian. Maybe not from a songwriting perspective, but from sonically. So yeah, that was Rick Wakeman, Adrian Smith, Sammy Hagar, Steve Hackett, Phil Collin, and Steve Howe were my were my honorable mentions. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So one thing I wanted to bring up or ask is how far out you can get. Because one of the things that I was thinking about was the faces, the small faces to the faces. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, Steve Marriott leaves and basically said, screw you guys, I'm going home. Mm-hmm. And then the, everybody else, and then I think he goes on to do Humble Pie, form Humble Pie with Pete Fram- Peter Frampton. So that worked out all right for him. And then everybody and then they everybody else picks up Rod Stewart and uh Ronnie Wood. From the Jetpack so, group, yeah. Correct. So is that to me that's kind of like a sidebar because it's it's basically a whole new group. Yeah. Even it, though they replaced them, it's something totally different. So I would do that as an honorable mention. Okay. That's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. I wouldn't let you get away with if you put that in the top ten. I'd say that's fine. You know, this we're not super technical. We don't want to bump stuff out. It, <laughs> It's about getting to a good conversation, right. not about, oh, that's not fair. You can't do that. You know, it's like, I, 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 it may have been the shout out loud guys. It was somebody or Eddie Trunk, one of those guys like crazy, crazy nights is not the title track of crazy nights because it's a different title. It's crazy, crazy nights, not oh, crazy boy. nights. I'm like, okay, yeah, all right. <laughs> Go home and tell mommy you did real good today. All right. Just, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. It is the title track. All right. But, but whatever. But yeah, no, but uh, I mean, you know, and, and some people would say, the Kirk Hammett thing is real because Dave was there and they did, you know, a Garage Days tape that everyone got and Dave was on that, you know, and he obviously he wrote songs. So like, yeah, but that just doesn't count in this iteration right. that we're doing here, you know. So and there's a lot of great people who, who were or who who replaced somebody who was key before they got a recording contract. Like, right. Was it important when Freddie Mercury joined? <laughs> smile and then they became queen yeah but they didn't you know have a career as smile you know queen was never anything else yeah exactly so you know but yeah and and while i agree with all of your honorable mentions i think yes all of those people did move the band ahead that they were in i've got one that's a little i got one that's on the fence here okay fence and that's dickie betts from the allman brothers and who did he replace he didn't replace anybody that just added him uh, no, okay. he he no, he was already there. But the deal was, he was always kind of second to Dwayne, right? Dwayne was the guy. He was the slide guitar player. He was the he was the king dingling in that band. Sure, he dies. They say, well, what are we going to do now? And Dickie says, I got this. Comes back, I don't know how a month, two months later, and he's on fire. So it's he had it in him. He was just always kind of, I don't want to say held back, but I mean, he, he's not better than Dwayne Allman. I'll never give you that. Right. But he kind of rose up out of the ashes to become something better in that band. So I kind of like stories about that too, where he was, he was there, but obviously he wasn't playing up to his potential. Okay. So I, I can dig that as a good, good story or good add on or whatever, yeah. but I wouldn't have let you count it. Because, right. Yes. No, I yeah. know. I knew that wasn't, but that that's just an interesting, <laughs> an interesting deal too. If you had somebody to, and, and I would say the same thing if Phil Collins had started with Genesis, mm-hmm. you know, a guy who was the drummer and then all of a sudden he became something else. 
Right, right. If you've been there since the beginning, yeah, that doesn't count just because you switch instruments. You know, that right. doesn't, that doesn't right. count. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, I'm with you there. Well, you know, as long as bands are going to have breakups and shakeups, there's going to be replacements. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of them may be a huge step up. And, you know, a lot of times if you're a small band and then you hit the big time or you break, you know, and you've been kind of this group of four guys or whatever. And now all of a sudden, well, of course you can upgrade, right? I mean, now you're a national act. You went from being a big deal in wherever you're from to all of a sudden, okay, now you're national. Well, now you can pull and get anybody you want, right? Mm -hmm. So there's always going to be the opportunity to upgrade there. So there's, you know, this happens over time, all the time. And these are just the 10 that you and I think were the best of all time. Correct. Cause you could, I mean, we, like I said, we could talk about this for 12 hours straight. Cause then you could, then you could do the, you could even get into, yeah, they were, weren't technically in the band, but they were on the first record. They get brought in and then they hit, you know, kind of like that. Like to, to me, the one that comes up is uh, Sebastian Bach from Skid Row where they were, you know, they could, they pick him up right before mm-hmm. and then they get big. And then it's kind of like, then you get into that hole. The rest of the band is like, well, now wait a minute. We were the ones that humped it for years and clubs and everything else. And all of a sudden you get here and, and then famous. we blow and up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and now wait, don't think you're on the same level here. And I think you could probably say that if Kirk Hammett was a different person, you could say that about him, but he's not, he's, you know, he's just a cool dude playing the guitar back there yeah. and but th- there's that weird sense of you didn't pay your dues like everybody else yeah yeah definitely yeah th- that'd be another conversation yeah, yeah correct yeah there's there's a lot of different ways you could go with this i guess but yeah but to me i mean and, and these are some of the biggest bands ever i mean and basically let's see here black sabbath fleetwood mac pink floyd yardbirds genesis rush Rolling Stones, Journey, everybody but Iron Maiden and Ario Speedwagon on my list are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And part of the reason they're there is because of the people that we chose. Mm-hmm. Iron, Iron Maiden should obviously be in. It's right. kind of a joke that they're not. Ario, yeah, I'm not that huge of a fan, but they wouldn't have had that huge selling record. And they, they wouldn't have all that stuff without Kevin Cronin and still going today without him. So that's that's kind of my justification for all that. And you could say the same about all, all of them on my almost their list. You know, yeah. yes, yes is in. Van Halen's obviously in. Def Leppard's in. We got another Genesis there and, and more Iron Maiden. And yes, so... Yeah, they, these are bands that were, maybe they were good, but when they got these guys, it took them to the next level. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thanks to listening to me and Jackson and our take on the top 10 rock and roll free agents of all time. It was a fun show to do. Thinking about who was big, who made the biggest difference for some of the biggest bands in the history of rock and roll. And just to recap, because I know we didn't really do that at the end of the show there. Jackson's list was number 10, Marty Friedman for Megadeth. Number 9, Adrian Smith of Iron Maiden. Number 8, Mick Taylor of the Rolling Stones. Number 7, Phil Collins of Def Leppard. Number 6, Phil Collins of Genesis. Number five, David Gilmore of Pink Floyd. Number four, Bruce Dickinson of Iron Maiden. Number three, Sammy Hagar and Van Halen. Number two, Brian Johnson of ACDC. And number one, Neil Peart of Rush. And for me, a little different. Number 10, Kevin Cronin of REO Speedwagon. Number nine was Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page in The Yardbirds. Number eight, Ronnie James Dio and Black Sabbath. Number seven, 
was Steve Perry into Journey. Number six, Phil Collins of Genesis. Number five, Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks of Fleetwood Mac fame. Mick Taylor of the Rolling Stones was my number four. Number three was Bruce Dickinson of Iron Maiden for me. Number two, the late great Neil Peart of Rush. And of course, my number one was David Gilmore of Pink Floyd. And of course, I had some honorable mentions. And you could talk about a lot of people who we didn't put on our list. One that came to mind recently is, what about Ian Gillen and Deep Purple? Or even the combo of Ian Gillen and Roger Glover? Yeah, could make a great argument for that, no doubt about it. But these are our lists, and obviously it's up for debate, and it could change from moment to moment. And I'm sure some people will get all riled up. Oh, you didn't remember? Hey, you can make your own list. You can make your own podcast. But that's where we are right now, and we want to hear from you what your favorite all-time rock and roll free agents were. So you can follow us on Twitter or X as they call it now, stupidest change ever. It's at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. We're also on Instagram. We're also on the new threads. We're also on YouTube. I think we're on Facebook, though we may not get back to you there. But anyway, please follow us, check us out, and let us know about your favorite rock and roll free agents of all time. And uh, we want to know, do we get something right? Do we get something wrong? Do we miss the point? Do we leave out your favorite part? You let us know. You can also email us. It's UglyAmericanWerewolf at gmail.com. You let us know the bands, the concerts, the DVDs, the books, the rock properties that you want to hear us talk about on the show. Thanks so much to Pantheon Podcast, which we are a proud member. And thanks, as always, to our great sponsor, RareVinyl.com. Go to Rare Vinyl, guys. Use the code UGLY. Save 10% off your purchase one time. So make sure you go in and buy a bunch of stuff and save yourself a bunch of money. RareVinyl.com, code UGLY. It's been a fun summer here on The Wolf, and we really appreciate you coming along with us. We've got some great interviews and some great albums and some great conversations lined up here for the fall. So please download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Doesn't matter where it is. Apple, Spotify. Good Pods has been good to us. We've ended up in the top five of a bunch of their lists lately. Wherever it is, doesn't matter. Download, subscribe there. And if you're thinking about it, guys, give us a positive review. It means so much to us. And it just helps us find more rock and roll fans like you. Helps us grow the show. And if you send it to us, we might just read it on the show. So until next time, to all of you rockers all around the world, be cool and keep doing what you do to keep rock alive. (laughs) 